This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Minimalists sell everything and live as nomads, owning only the things they can carry with them. Some live in and own homes, have one or two cars, and collect things like stamps or magnets or funny comic strips. Many live between these two categories. Minimalism is a lifestyle that can be tailored to what works for you and those you live with. It is much more than buying and owning less. It's about refocusing life to gain the freedom that comes from more time, more energy, and more financial resources. It's about focusing on what matters most. Valeria Telles interviews Becca Ehrlich, the author of Christian Minimalism, Simple Steps for Abundant Living. Becca Ehrlich is an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, ELCA, living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She blogs about minimalism from a Christian perspective and shares inspiration and encouragement to live a more minimal life. Meet Becca at christianminimalism.com. Here's the interview with Becca Ehrlich. In your own words, who is Becca Ehrlich? That's a great question. Becca Ehrlich is a Christian pastor who's passionate about living a minimalist lifestyle and living the life God is calling her to live. Why did you choose to become a pastor, Becca? Uh, God. <laughs> right, right. No, I mean, it's a, it's a much longer story, but God, God called me to this, to this work. <laughs> I love that because that really opens up this conversation about the uh, trust, surrender, and mm -hmm. going deeper, isn't it? So let me ask basic questions. What, who, and where is God to you? God, wow. <laughs> These are really great questions. Thank you. I mean, God is everything to me. It's, it's my connection to the wider experience, um, the wider experience in the world, because I'm just one person who experiences the world, but God sees everything all the time. And so um, God knows more than than anyone on earth. And so um, connection to God means that you're connecting yourself to the to the wider experience. Yeah. I love that. I never heard it that way. A wider experience. What does it feel like to be at that place of living in such a way from the wider perspective? Yeah, it's just when you're connected to something bigger than yourself, a, a broader perspective, it's it puts things in perspective for your own life. Yeah, <laughs> you don't tend yeah. to sweat the small things. <laughs> True. The same way. 
Another question I have for you is about, I have heard before, I speak to Christians sometimes, and I remember asking this question to them too. Was Jesus God? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was, Both fully right. human and fully God at the same time. <laughs> so it is this um, paradox. It is, yes. And the, I know the math doesn't work, but God can do amazing things. <laughs> right, right. Everything's possible. What do you think is the human experience all about, Becca? Why are we here? Ah, well, I would say the purpose of life is to um, glorify God and be with God forever. And I, I didn't come up with that myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's from a very old <laughs> Westminster Catechism document from the 1600s. But I, I really, truly believe we're here to uh, love and serve God and others. Wow. Yeah, that's another beautiful perspective. And do we get to choose that, to be here in a human body, or it just happens as a miracle? Uh, well, I believe God creates all of us, so we're all God's children. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're all supposed to be here. That's interesting because a lot of us, I remember myself questioning a lot when I was very young, what am I doing here? Like, what is this? <laughs> Did I choose to be here? I don't want to be here. And do you think we tend to ask those questions, especially the negative ones when we really don't want to be here? Is that because we have lost that connection to God yeah, I think often that's the case, or uh, more specifically, our calling or our vocation from God. Um, I mean, God created all of us and put here, we're put here for a reason by God. And so each of us have um, our own personal callings from God. And so usually when we're asking those questions, it's us trying to to pinpoint why, what we're supposed to be doing, like what's that personal calling from God. The beginning of the discovery journey. Yeah, that makes sense to me. How did you discover yours? Was that a problem? process or moment in time? How did that happen? And how did you trust that? Was it a moment too where you just trusted completely or was a process and it still is? Mm, that's a good question. So uh, as far as Christian minimalism, um, I actually was watching uh, the minimalism documentary on Netflix, the original one, and uh, realized that God was calling me to live a more minimalist life. Um, and my, I made my husband will watch it too. <laughs> so my, um, and we agreed that we were like, Oh my gosh, God is really doing something cool with this. Um, and so that was my first calling was that to completely shift my worldview and lifestyle. Um, it wasn't until I said, you know what, there, there isn't really a whole lot of depth of this connecting this to Christian faith and spirituality, I really want to write about this because I think other people are interested too. Um, and that's when I kind of discovered that other calling to do this work. Um, I wouldn't have chosen this for myself. I was very far from being a minimalist <laughs> before, before I heard God telling me to do this. 2020, talk to me about that. Last year has been very different. For many of us, we have experienced it in different ways. For you, what has changed and what insights have you gained? Yeah, it's been really interesting because I think um, a lot of us have been kind of forced into some minimalism this yeah, last year. true. Very true. <laughs> um, and so uh, a lot of people have not been super excited about that because um, it's one thing to choose <laughs> living more minimally. It's a whole other thing to be forced into it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we get this kind of op this this 
clean slate, this opportunity to when we go back to whatever normal looks like after the pandemic, we have this opportunity to live differently and more minimally if we choose to, because we had to figure out what was most important during the pandemic. And now we could either go back to the way we lived before and go on automatic pilot, or we can live more intentionally and uh, focus on what's most important. Do you connect minimalism to simplicity? Uh, to an extent, yeah. Uh, I mean, so there was something called the simplicity movement back in the 1970s. And um, there's a lot of similarities to the simplicity movement and minimalism, but it kind of ended in different places. So the simplicity movement was really into like homesteading and canning and growing your own stuff. And um, those are all great things, but like I'm a minimalist and I don't do any of that. Well, that's true. I used to can things, but other than that. <laughs> this might be a good moment to talk about minimalism. What is that to you, Becca? Yeah, so it's a, it's a focus on the aspects of life that matter most and intentionally removing everything else. So it's finding that core of what's most important and then paring things down so that you can focus on that and that everything kind of points to that in your life. What does it take to live in such a way? I know I have a lot of other questions, but these questions are coming to mind. What does it take? What is the first step? Yeah, um, it, it kind of depends on what your reason for doing it, your why. Mm, um, for me and a lot of other folks, um, it's it's the first step is starting to pare down your material goods just yeah. because that that is an easy, tangible way to see progress. Yeah. Uh, but that's not always the case for everyone. Like if having a lot of stuff around you is not your issue, it might be paring down your schedule. If you have a lot of obligations that you've said yes to that are just sucking the life out of you and you said yes to it because you because you felt like you had to or you felt guilty. So it just all depends. But it really is just the first step is starting small and and starting the process of, of minimizing so you can focus on what matters most. So like for us, when we were doing the material possessions, we started doing a drawer a day, okay. uh, which was totally doable and was only something like 15 minutes a day. So that's how we started. It seems to me like it's more It's going into the mind more. I mean, not the mind per se, but the the inner world, isn't it? Exploring it is. that. It is for sure. Like most, mm. it's funny because uh, decluttering is very trendy right now yeah. and like getting rid of stuff's fine and that's good, but it doesn't necessarily get at the why did you get the stuff or the time energy or commitments or why did you fall into these bad habits in the first place? Because if you don't address that stuff, you're just going to fall back into what you were doing previously. So I have another warm-up question for you. It's freedom. What is your idea of freedom? What is to be free from your perspective? Yeah, uh, being free of those things that are keeping me from focusing on what's most important. You wrote the book, Christian Minimalism, Simple Steps for Abundant Living. And your book is not released yet. Please, um, I think you mentioned by email. I apologize. I don't have that in front of me. What is the release date, Becca? May 17th. May 17th. Great. So two initial questions about your book. How did you become a writer and what was the main intention and inspiration to write it? Yeah, so uh, I became a writer when I started blogging about Christian minimalism after I heard God speak to me through a Netflix documentary. <laughs> right. Um, so that's how I started. I mean, I had always been really interested in writing, even when I was a kid, but it was just kind of something I never pursued a lot. And then that was sort of where I picked up that skill set and that gift. 
uh, again, uh, using it in this way. And then um, I knew eventually I probably wanted to write a Christian minimalism book, but I did spend a few years writing on the blog first before I started pursuing the the, the concept of pub- publishing a book. Um, and I'm just really glad I've been blogging for about three and a half years now. And I, it seems like a good time to bring out the book after I've, I've done so much work on it over the years. How do you connect that Christian minimalism? Minimalism, now we have an idea going in a, in a world. So how do you work with Christians when it comes to that? Yeah, so for me, um, obviously, the center of the Christian faith is Jesus. And so I see Jesus as a minimalist himself. He taught that our, you know, why we're here is not to accumulate wealth or possessions or fame or worldly accolades. And that's the basis of minimalism is, you know, finding what matters most and focusing on that, not what the world tells us to focus on or consumer culture tells us to focus on. And so for me, it was, it was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what's part of my Christian faith. It makes a ton of sense to connect minimalism in the Christian faith because this is part of what Jesus was teaching. In the book, I love the way you talk about the living counterculturally. Mm-hmm. And then you have, I'm not sure, not under that chapter, that part of the book, but I found something else interesting. You said, one of the best kept secrets about making loved ones a priority and forming community is disregarding the divisions created by society. We are often brainwashed to think that we can only be friends with people who think, look, and act like us. That's a big one. What a beautiful message. That's a good start, isn't it? Not separating, dividing Mm -hmm. ourselves. So talk to me for a moment about that specific idea that most of us have, that we are somehow better off or will feel better if we are around people that look, think, and act like us. Yeah. our I mean, we live in a, a class-filled society where yeah, we tend yeah. to hang out with those who are considered the same class as us. And that usually means it's people who look and act and think like us. Um, and so one of the things that really excites me about Christian minimalism, but just, you know, the Christian message in general is the idea that like Jesus broke down those barriers (laughs) regularly. (laughs) It wasn't, you know, and so that's what we're called to do. The six aspects of life that matter most in Christian minimalism, you say in the book, is fellowship, self-care, stewardship, and spiritual growth, vocation, and service. I love the self-care part. I love all of them, spiritual growth too, all of them. But self-care caught my attention. And I wonder why you started, I know you give lots of um, advice, and then you start with physical self-care. And I was wondering if we care, if we give attention or turn our attention to spiritual care, self-care, if that would take care of all the other aspects. Mm, yeah, I would say that spiritual spiritual self-care is kind of overarching the rest of them. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. all of them are interconnected for sure. 
And what is the difference between mental, emotional, and intellectual self-care, Becca? Yeah, so so mental uh, self-care is, is more about making sure that we're healthy mentally and our mental health is uh, as good as it can be. So that means different things for different people, but right. it also means being okay with uh, seeking professional help when needed. Emotional self-care can be connected to that, obviously, but it's, it's a little different. It's making sure that we're expressing emotions healthily, but then also making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and keeping track of our emotions, if that makes sense. And then intellectual, yeah. Yeah. a lot of people don't think of intellectual health. <laughs> when we think um, yeah. But we're, we're made to learn and grow. And so making sure that there are things that are challenging us intellectually, too. That surprised me, the intellectual self-care, which I understand, of course, yeah, learning different things. But then when it comes to minimalism, per se, as the concept you talk about, uh, how do we learn to distinguish wisdom from knowledge and not start gathering a lot of um, information from all over the place? And then that seems to me that it would become a mental clutter. It could become. It could. Yeah. So you have to be very intentional. That's one of the big things about uh, minimalism is intentionality, right, um, right. living life deliberately. So you have to be very intentional with what you're bringing into your life and uh, what you're choosing to learn. Because obviously, um, knowing the sources you're getting information from and being discerning of what you're learning is important. Would you say that would come from that place of spiritual growth or that place that is in touch with God or would you say wisdom, as we often use? I often use the word wisdom. Yeah, I would say it's it's one and the same. Right, right. <laughs> um, Christians right. call it a, a, a spirit of discernment. So mm-hmm. um, trying to listen and, and see what God may have placed on your heart to learn more about. Talk to me for a moment about forgiveness and a very interesting concept, idea, which is, uh, I mean, I absolutely love for some reason, emptying ourselves. Mm, yeah. So um, which one do you want me to do first? Forgiveness oh my God, I love empty. both. Yeah, um, it doesn't matter however comes to you. Okay. <laughs> Whatever comes uh, first. <laughs> yeah, I think um, forgiveness in the wider culture is not something that we really talk about very much, but I think it's very important for our, our spiritual well-being um, because, you know, we mess up as human beings and we need to um, acknowledge that, but then also be open to the idea that we can forgive people. And that doesn't necessarily mean forgetting what happened. It just means that we're not going to hold that in us anymore, um, that that anger or that hurt or that frustration because that person wronged us. And so forgiveness is a very freeing thing to, and I don't think we can do it without help from, from the divine <laughs> because we're, we can't naturally forgive, I don't think. I think we can, but I don't think it's lasting unless it's connected to something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, so that's that's forgiveness for me. I'm blanking. What was the other thing we were talking about? Yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, it goes back to that intention, yeah. And uh, emptying ourselves, that's a, I love that concept, this idea. Yeah, and it's actually, it's kind of cool. There's um, part of the Bible where it talks about how Jesus emptied himself to be lower than himself in order to become human. So he was God in human form. And I just love that that concept of like emptying ourselves in order to be closer to God. That is um, a powerful one. Why do you think most of us, not re- just reject, but uh, push away and resist this idea of surrender, of, I would say, expanded trust? 
I think that um, for better or for worse, at least in the United States <laughs> and in a lot of the Western world, um, we we have this this thing of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, having individ- being able to do things individually and um, having the power to do things on our own. And in general, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it means that we're not very great at um, surrendering to the divine or um, being okay with emptying ourselves um, and not having control. Uh, we yes. like we like having control. <laughs> and you also said something interesting. I think in the beginning of the self-care chapter, chapter four, you say, the very beginning, we are terrible at taking care of ourselves, <laughs> which is another truth. Yeah. And I often wonder why, too. Would you, is that everything's connected to that idea of not trusting? Yeah, I think a lot of it is consumer culture doesn't encourage us to take care of ourselves. I mean, it likes to think it does because it says, like, treat yourself yeah. and go buy stuff to take care of yeah, yourself. Right, right. It's not actually taking care of yourself in the long term and, in fact, could actually harm yourself if you think you're taking care of yourself by buying a bunch of stuff. So I, I think it's consumer culture is based off of what you can produce. And so when your value as a human being is what you can produce – then uh, taking care of yourself is is not something that's a priority. Have you seen a change by doing this work? Are you seeing some, let's say, progress in this area with the people you work with? Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's really fascinating, but because I, I think a lot of us just kind of live on automatic pilot about yes. like how consumer culture expects us to live yeah. um, until something kind of jars us out of that. And for me, obviously it was minimalism. And so it's really good to help people figure out that you don't have to live this way. You don't have to keep accumulating stuff or wealth or whatever you're accumulating time commitments. You know, everyone, everyone accumulates something somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we can pull down our lives somehow. Um, and so it's just realizing that you can live more intentionally And that's okay. For you, I think I didn't ask the question about your values. What is that that you value most? What's the most important things about living this life? Uh, Well, God for me, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but also, obviously, uh, relationships, loved ones. Uh, Whenever I speak on Christian minimalism at events or (laughs) did before the pandemic. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, right. When I ask people what matters most in life, the first thing besides God people say is relationships, loved ones. And so we innately know that that's a huge part of what we're supposed to do as human beings, like what's most important. But a lot of times we don't put those things first because we're taught or not maybe even taught deliberately, but it's assumed and implied that we should be focusing on other things. That brings me to the question about, in my case, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family where I had to leave the environment. So for those who are going through the same thing or they have the same challenges, what would you say to them if they don't have anybody that's family related that they can rely on? Yeah, well, you can, uh, family doesn't mean just blood family, for sure. (laughs) Yes, your family can be loved ones that aren't you aren't related to blood wise. And I actually have a section in my book about toxic relationships. And um, minimizing includes making sure that the relationships that are in your life are life giving. I heard before from a poet that I interviewed who is a Christian poet, and he talked about, for the first time, I heard the Lectio Divina. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you pronounce it that way. Yep. In your book, you mentioned that is uh, the Lectio Divina. It has four parts. 
read, meditate, pray, contemplate. This is spiritual practice. Do you engage in it? And do you advise us to do it too? Yeah, I do. Um, I try to read scripture pretty regularly. And so a lot of times I'll use Lectio Divina as a way to kind of set up that reading for me. Um, it gives some structure to it, which is kind of nice. Uh, but I do, I find Lectio Divina more helpful for myself when I do it in a group, yeah. just because I, I learn so much from what stands out in the reading for other people. But some people really like doing it by themselves as well. The spiritual practices that you mentioned in the book, so many of them, I love the breath prayer. This is a, it's a beautiful one. And, but before that, I want to ask the question about meditation and prayer. Are they different? Yeah. Um, I would say they're, they're very much the same thing. It just depends on how, how you do it, depending on your faith tradition. So, uh, for me, a lot of, uh, what I've learned in meditation that might come from, you know, Buddhism or other traditions, um, also informs how I pray, uh, and meditate on texts or on God, uh, as a Christian. And from the practices that you have listed in the book, so many of them, I love the journaling one because something that I have done and really worked. Um, praying in color. I never heard about that before. Talk to me about that, Becca. Praying yeah, in color. Uh, I love praying in color because it's, uh, so basically it's it's using um, shapes and colors as you pray. And so it's it's like a freer version of coloring. I know coloring is yeah. very trendy right now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's a freer version where you can, you know, write down the people or things that you're praying for and use color and shapes to kind of guide your prayer as you pray. Uh, and so uh, as someone who's not a uh, fine arty, uh, I'm not yeah. necessarily a drawer. Yeah. <laughs> I do stick figures. Um, that was at first kind of intimidating, but when I learned that it was more just just using the colors and the shapes to guide your prayer. I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be an amazing masterpiece. It's just to, it's just an aid in your prayer prayer yeah. life. So, um, yeah, it's it's actually a really cool way to pray. I love it. Yeah, I love this idea of coloring and the mandalas too. I see you have them there. That's something that I have done before. It's very powerful. And another thing that is um, very interesting, another spiritual practice is fasting. So. What are the benefits, spiritual benefits of fasting? Yeah, so it, it sounds very minimalist, right? Like yeah, fasting yeah. is is for a short time, um, cutting something down in order to focus more on what matters most uh, in, in a spiritual sense, God, but also mm -hmm. other things. Um, and so usually when people think fasting, they think food, yeah. which you can do. But for me, fasting has been more uh, around spending habits and consumer things that don't work for me and shopping and uh, simplifying and experimenting. Mm, the experimenting. I love that. <laughs> it sounds very playful <laughs> when you say it that way. When I read that in your book, experiment. Yeah, it's playful. And fasting, right, that's very connected to what you speak of, becoming more empty of what or free of what is now serving us. There's something else I want to talk to you about before I ask you my final questions is you were diagnosed with something that I never heard before, MCAS, mm -hmm. Mast Cell Activation Syndrome. So what is it and how did you deal with it? Did you learn how to trust even deeper at that moment? 
Mm, that's a good question. So yeah, so I got diagnosed with um, mast cell activation syndrome. And don't worry that you didn't know about it. Most right. people don't know it exists, including doctors, which means that a lot of people have it and just aren't diagnosed. Mm. Yeah, so basically, it's it's an immune system disorder. So your mast cells are part of your immune system, and they're overreactive. So um, basically, I react to things that people with a normal functioning immune system wouldn't necessarily react to. So I take a lot of uh, medicines to calm down my mast cells or mast cell stabilizers, which also includes a lot of antihistamines because um, when your mast cells, you know, freak out, <laughs> yeah. they react. Um, they release histamine. And so I take uh, multiple antihistamines. So I'm on a a lot of different medications to um, mitigate the fact that my immune system is overreactive. That has been, we've been trying to find better ways to manage it. Everyone's body is a little different. And so um, finding the right combination of meds for people who have MCAS is going to look different. Um, But it has made me trust God more because there are days, I mean, when I discovered minimalism on that couch watching Netflix, it was Mm -hmm. Because I was having a bad health day. Right. Um, And I'm not saying God caused the bad health day. I don't think that's how God works. But I think um, God used that time where I wasn't feeling well to really do something amazing. So it's really helped me slow down and listen for God more. I mean, minimalism was. it, it was a choice I made because it made sense for me as a chronically ill person to be more deliberate in how I live because I just don't have a infinite amount of energy. You sound like you do. <laughs> you sound really wonderful. <laughs> Did you find the cause back of this problem? No. So we still don't know a lot about it. Um, it's only been an official diagnosis for under 20 years. And so there's still a lot of research that needs to be done. But a lot of people think that it's genetic because it tends to run in families. Yeah. So uh, that's my guess. It saddens me when I hear the uh, that people take medication. But yeah, it's if it is needed, then we have to do it. And I remember you saying in your book, like, the divine works that way too. You kind of trust that it would work through the medications to help you. Yes. Yep. God definitely works through doctors and medicines. (laughs) Through everything. Yes. And in your book, you also mentioned, my whole life I have struggled to surrender to God. Do you now know why that was the case? Uh, I've just always been a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So many, we can all relate to it for sure. Yeah. I think we all have that to an extent, but like, especially me, I'm just like a very big planner and I like knowing what's going to happen and when. And so, um, for me, that's been a huge struggle is like surrendering to the fact that, you know, some like little things I have control over in my life. Like I can choose what I'm eating for breakfast, but like, as far as the, my wider life's span, there are things that I do not have control over and I have to trust that God has control. So I have these ending questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I just want to say that minimalism really can change your life. It can totally shift your lifestyle and your worldview into focusing on what really matters most. And I think that's the life that God is calling us to. And so my hope is that more people can, can find minimalism um, and connect it to spirituality just because of this book. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Mm, it is not what consumer cultural tells like successes <laughs> at all. <Yeah. laughs> it's not money or yeah. stuff or big houses. It's more about doing what we're called to do and loving 
God in people. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leave in the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? I don't think so. I think, I mean, obviously I'd, I'd want to continue spending time with family and friends and with God, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would do much different. Maybe I would just go like, well, not in a pandemic, but maybe I'd go on a whirlwind trip <laughs> around the world. But other than that, I mean, <laughs> I'm focusing on what matters most right now. So I don't think I would change a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. I love that answer. And do you believe in life after death? I do. Yeah. What kind of life do you believe is there? Yeah, I think that there's um, eternal life with God um, and with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're loved on earth, obviously, but there's there's an en enveloping love in eternal life. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? <laughs> I know about life for sure. I love that. That's great. Um, I know that God created us. I know that we are here for a purpose and that God loves us. I love your faith. I love that trust. Yeah, I can hear in your voice too. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Becca, for being you. Oh, thanks. And for the work you do, the wisdom that you um, share, everything. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, so christianminimalism.com is the blog. You can read a lot about minimalism there. Um, and Christian Minimalism, Simple Steps for Abundant Living comes out May 17th. You can buy that where books are sold. It's on pre-order now, but obviously in about a week, actually an exact week from <laughs> when this is being recorded. Um, and uh, also on social media, there's uh, just search Christian Minimalism. There's a Christian Minimalism page and group and at Jesus Minimalism on both Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. I'll have your website on the podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye for now, Beck. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Becca Ehrlich and her work, please visit christianminimalism.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.